Um, first of all, good morning. I just start in kids' ministry by saying good morning, so good morning. Um, and you're actually supposed to say it back. Okay, thank you. Good job. Um, I had a conversation with one of my friends. Um, we were actually in a group of us a little while ago, and we started talking about the Old Testament. And one of my friends was saying, gosh, the Old Testament is just so hard. It's so hard to read through. There's so many names. There's so many genealogies. It's very tedious when you read through Leviticus. It's all rules, right? There's lots of, lots of information in the Old Testament. And so we started talking about it, and she was saying, you know, I just, I feel like even the stories in the Old Testament are too scary to share with my kids now. And I hear that. I actually didn't haven't just heard this from my friend. I hear this from a lot of people, and maybe you have too. People will say, oh, the God of the Old Testament is judgmental, is harsh, is scary. I don't want to go through the Old Testament. Well, I don't know if you know this or not. Spoiler alert. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, right? Is the God today. And I felt like, oh my gosh, even when she was talking about it and saying, "I, ah, it's just scary. That God's scary. I'm like, that God? Why is that God scary? Like our God is the same God. And so I went home. I didn't say anything to my friend. But I went home, and a couple days later, I was reading in my own Bible, and I read Zephaniah 317. It says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears, and he will rejoice over you with joyful songs. And after reading this verse, I read the commentary, and David Gusick says this in his commentary. Actually, he was um, quoting Spurgeon. Spurgeon was talking about, could you imagine the voice of Jehovah, the God we serve, singing? First of all, blow your mind, right? The God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who is this powerful, awesome being singing. And not only is he singing, he sings over us. He sings over you. So in a text that I was sharing with my friends, if you're anxious, he's singing songs of peace, songs of calmness. If you're afraid, he's singing songs of comfort, right? If you're sad, he's going to sing songs of joy over you, this great God. And as I was thinking this, my mind automatically went back to the conversation that I had with my friends. And I was like, oh, I should have even though we don't need to defend God, but that's where my thought process went. I, need, I should have defended him. I should have said, he's not this scary, judgmental, crazy, harsh, cruel God of punishment. That's not the God we serve. This is the God we serve that loves us and has cared for us since day one in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. He, that day, he said, I'm going to cover you with clothing. I'm going to come over you. I'm going to be your shelter. I'm going to send the seed of the woman to crush Satan's head. Oh, by the way, this is a rabbit trail, and I need to get back to my notes. My favorite verse is in Romans, and he says, the God of heaven, oh no, it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet shortly. How awesome is that? You should just put that on a bumper sticker, put it on your mirror. Satan's going to be crushed, and it's going to be awesome. Anyway. As we study through Jonah this morning, I hope you leave with a better understanding of God's heart, not only for people in general, but for you individually, for you and me. I heard Jared say, pray up here. You're not here on accident. God brought you. You're sitting here, so you're supposed to hear this message. So before we even get into it, just pray in your own mind and heart. Lord, what do you want to show me? How do you want to change my heart this morning? So the book of Jonah, I'm sure... Most of you, who has, who's heard of this story? Raise your hand. Everybody's like this. 
Okay, so pretty much everybody's heard this story, but we need to remember that God's word is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, right? And it's living, which means it's always going to be speaking to you. So I truly believe God has a message for us in Jonah. So let's read the first couple verses together. It says, now the word, oh, by the way, you're welcome. We're going to go through the whole book this morning. So you can check off a book on your list for this week. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So what do we know about Jonah? Who was Jonah? Jonah was a prophet. We know that from verse one, he was the son of this guy, Amittai. And really, we don't know much else about Jonah. The other time he's mentioned is in 2 Kings, where 2 Kings 14, 23 through 28, it mentions Jonah as a prophet in Israel during the time of Jeroboam II, which was a very evil, evil time um, in the history of Israel. Other than this, we don't know much about him except he disobeys, right? So he's not an awesome dude. I feel like the Lord was showing me this as I was studying, again, reminding us that we don't have to be awesome for God to use us. We don't have to be perfect for God to use us, right? You don't have to be some crazy prophet. Um, I've almost done with the Old Testament. I got just two more books to read, but I was reading in Amos. Amos, it says he was a shepherd, and then God called him to go bring his message. The shepherds back then were the lowest of lows. They didn't have prominence. They didn't have hierarchy or anything. They just took care of dirty sheep. And God said, hey, I have a message for you to bring to my people. So this guy, Jonah, wasn't any different than you and me. And actually, we're going to see that as we study his life. His heart was jacked. And God wants to work in his heart. So that's all we know of Jonah. He's disobedient. He flees from his call. And then what does he try to do? He, he flees to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. Um, what we're going to see God do in Jonah is we're going to see God work a work in his own heart. I believe God called Jonah to be on mission to reveal what was in his heart that needed to be changed. Um, since the beginning of our church, we've always prayed that it would grow. And in, in our flesh, sinful pastor minds, we thought that's going to be thousands of people in this place. And we're going to need new buildings and we're going to need all this stuff. And it's going to be awesome. And we're going to explode with all these people. And that has not happened yet. <laughs> but last spring, Jared started praying. It was really heavy on his heart to start praying for this personal gospel renewal for our hearts to be changed individually. And he started asking our leadership team to pray for personal gospel renewal to happen within the church. This was last spring. And I remember him bringing the idea to us and I was like, I know this is gonna sound so bad. I was like, yeah, that's a good idea, but I didn't really pray about it. Thank God I have great leaders in our church who actually prayed about it. Um, you can thank them for the work that God's doing today. But late last year, God started doing personal gospel renewal in our church. And I never thought I'd see this as church growth. And God has so shown us 
that growing is not about numbers for him. Growing is about you and your relationship with him. He cares about you and he cares about Jonah, which is why I believe he took Jonah on this trip. I believe he said, Jonah, you're going to preach to the Ninevites because yes, I want them saved, but I want you saved. I want your heart to be where my heart is. This whole process of personal gospel renewal in our church has been heartbreaking, but it's been so good. The spirit is moving among us. There's been unconfessed sin, which has turned from a little snowball into a giant snow boulder. I don't even know. Is that the right phrase? I don't think so. Snowball effect. That's what I'm trying to say. One person has confessed. Someone else has confessed. Someone else has confessed. Someone else has confessed. And someone else will still be confessing. Right? It's just been so good to see this as church growth. And it reminds me of Jonah. God is after his heart, the deep issues in his heart. So Jonah tries to flee from the presence of the Lord. We don't know why he didn't want to go to Nineveh other than Um, Jonah chapter four tells us that he gets angry when God forgives him. I know you're going to be like, I didn't know. Yes, we're going to read all of it. He gets angry when God forgives the Ninevites because the Assyrians were living in Nineveh at this time and they were a very dark, evil people and they were God's enemies. They were enemies of God's people, always trying to conquer God's people, always trying to take their land, always being the bullies. And Jonah did not like them. Jonah might have been afraid, so he fled. But we also know Jonah was mad, and he didn't want God to forgive these people. But just one problem. Jonah forgot that you cannot run away from the presence of the Lord. Psalm 139, 7 through 12 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. You cannot run from the presence of the Lord. Mistake number one with Jonah, right? God is after his heart. Verse four, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for, for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. Jonah's trying to escape and God's not letting it happen. Jonah now is sleeping. There's everything, God is using every circumstance around him to wake him up right? Everything. He's using a storm. He's using the sailors screaming. And he's like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to listen to you, Lord. Has that been anybody else but me? That's been me sometimes. Nope, not listening. I heard someone say one time they were being convicted by the spirit and they're like, I feel like it's someone's thumb just pushing my chest and like not letting me just not taking it off. (laughs) I'm like, I've felt that so many times. Why do we just not surrender, right? And Jonah's still not going to surrender. Spoiler alert. But God's not going to let him go. Man, my mom used to pray for us. I don't know why she prayed this all the time. She prayed, God, let my girl's sin find them out. And it did. Constantly. 
I, I mean, I was the one who found out my sister's sins, so God used me to tell on them all the time. But God just, God knew, right? Okay, Megan, you're doing this. Don't do it. I would get caught. I mean, all the time we would get caught. I remember them being, I remember when Jared and I were youth leaders, we had this one girl in our youth group who just got in trouble all the time. She just didn't get it all the time. She was doing things that she shouldn't be doing and getting caught with people she shouldn't be with and taking advantage of people or people were taking advantage of her all the time. And I was working and she came in with this boy one day into the bank where I was working. And I said, Hey, I'm not going to say her name because her mom's probably watching. And I said, Hey, and, and I was like, what are you doing here? And she just, you could just see, she's like, you work here? And she's like, hey, oh, you know, we're just hanging out. And I'm like, oh, who's your friend? I'm like, nice to meet you, dude. And he's like, yeah. And then they left. And then I talked to her mom that Sunday. This was like Wednesday or Thursday. I was at church on Sunday. And I said, oh, I saw, I saw your daughter. You saw her? I said, yep. <laughs> and she's like, where was she? I'm like, oh, she came into the bank with so-and-so. She was with who? And I said, all right, <laughs> now what? <laughs> and she's like, and she told me the whole story. She's not allowed to be with this boy. This is the story of this boy. And I took her out to dinner that next night. And I said, are you so stupid? I did. I looked at her in the face and I said, God is after your heart every single second day. He's constantly revealing your sin to you because whom he loves, he chastens all the time. And he doesn't want you stuck in this rut of sin. So he's constantly going to be pushing you and getting you caught. How do you not see that God is after your soul and he loves you? And bummer, she still hasn't walked with the Lord to this day. But the Lord keeps grabbing her. The Lord keeps going after her because I hear her mama say it all the time. This is what God's doing in her life but she hasn't turned back yet. How long is it going to take us, you guys, to listen to that call of God? Don't let it go. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, not tomorrow. Tomorrow's not guaranteed your own. Leaving church right now is not guaranteed your own. Today is the day of salvation. So he's going to keep pursuing Jonah's heart. He's going to keep searching Jonah. Jonah, I'm not going to let you sleep. Watch what happens. Verse 7. And they, you guys are like, oh, she's long-winded. Don't worry, I'll finish in 20 minutes. And they said to one another, Come. Let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So the sailors are freaking out, right? So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on who account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Of what people are you? And this cracks me up. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea. I mean, doesn't that crack you up? These waves are like crashing on their boat. And he's like, okay, I serve the God who's making the wave crash on your boat. I mean, I can't even, I know you guys aren't laughing, but in my head, it's hilarious. I'm like, I can't imagine what they're thinking of this guy right now. Who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. But notice that he still hasn't repented. He's saying, all right, it's my fault. He's not repentive. He's just saying, just kill me now. I'm still going to run from the presence of the Lord. And it's going to be till death. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. 
Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased to you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. It just kills me that Jonah still is not repentant. He's like, nope, just take me and kill me and throw me overboard. I get that I'm the one that made the mistake, but he isn't sorry yet. And the, I love this too. Look at this. This is God's heart. This God of the Old Testament, he's after the sailors too. Look what he used. He used this storm and all of a sudden the God that can make the seas rage, he calms in a second. And the sailors go, oh, oh, okay. Now we're going to sacrifice to you. We're going to pray to this God. And God saves their souls. God's after soul saving. This is the God we serve. He's after your soul. And then, verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then, this is the best part, Jonah 2, verse 1, then Jonah prayed. Jonah, are you kidding me? Then you prayed? It had to be taken to get into this fish belly? I almost said whale, but the Bible does not say that. Pinocchio says that. The Bible does not right? If you've ever watched Pinocchio, he gets swallowed by a whale. That's not what happens. A fish. I don't know what kind of fish this is, and I'm not going to get into it because it's beyond our point, but I know it's true because the Bible is true. So this happened. God can do miracles, right? So he gets swallowed by this fish. I picture him being in the belly of the fish. It doesn't quite say this, but could you imagine being like, did anybody watch Anaconda? This is weird, but when he like swallows the guy, like you can just see the guy inside the snake. That's how I picture Jonah. He's not comfortably in the belly of a fish. He's like this, right? And probably super claustrophobic. I mean, he had to get to the absolute end of himself. Acts 26, 14 says this, Paul saying this. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me, Paul, in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, I'm sorry, I heard him saying to me, Paul, in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. The New Living Translation translates it like this. It is useless for you to fight against my will, Saul. You're not going anywhere. I am greater. I am stronger. Paul had to be blinded to get his attention. Balaam had to be confronted by his own donkey. How dumb can we get? Could you imagine you go home and your dog's like, yo, God wants you to read your Bible. And you're like, Whoa, what? But even then, still people don't believe, right? Balaam had to be confronted by his donkey. David went so far. This one breaks my heart. David went so far in his rebellion that he murdered a man to cover his sin and therefore had to watch his newborn son die. And not only that, he had to watch Bathsheba mourn the loss of her husband. And not only that, but he had to watch Bathsheba lose the life of her firstborn child. For a woman, that is awful. It's just awful. I've had a miscarriage. I never saw that baby, but it is heartbreaking. This woman had a baby and the baby died. And David, it was consequences of David's sin. He had to go so far, so low. 
how low will you go before you answer the call of God on your life? So chapter two, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep seas, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me and all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight yet I shall look again upon your holy temple, meaning, okay, I'm going to pray. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain so he's sinking he's sinking to the bottom of the sea and I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever yet you brought up my life from the pit oh Lord my God when my life was fainting away I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay salvation belongs to the Lord so now Jonah has been sunk to the lowest of lows the next step would literally be death he actually thought he was drowning to death, right? The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. And while he's in the lowest of lows, he can't go any farther. He does these five things. He calls out to the Lord, verse two. He cries out to the Lord, verse two. He looked to the Lord, verse four. He remembered the Lord, verse seven. And he prayed to the Lord, verse seven. I believe these are repentance steps in not only Jonah's life, but they need to be in our life. And this is how I interpret it. These are my words. He calls out to the Lord. This is what I would say. Okay, I can't do this anymore. Now I need you, Lord. Are you there? He cries out. Okay, Lord, I desperately need you now. I can't do this life. I can't do this walk without you. Then he looks to the Lord. Gosh, Lord, you alone are my salvation. Remember when Peter says, where else are we going to go? You're the only one who has the words of eternal life, Lord. He remembers the Lord. Okay, you're the God who made me, the God who made the heavens and the earth, the God who made this sea, the God who made this fish who swallowed me up. I'm going to remember who you are. And then he prays. And this is how I would interpret it. Okay, God, I'm sorry. And I give you my life again. Do with me as you please. So now Jonah has full surrender. And the Lord spoke to the fish God's hilarious. And he didn't just get out of the fish. The fish vomited him up on dry land. So he's like, all right. He's like, now fish, puke him out. And so he probably has like all this stuff on him. I'm like, oh God, you're awesome. He's funny. He needs to get our attention. Then verse three, I'm sorry, chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. You guys, the second time. How good is your God? How good is our God we serve? The lowest of lows. I'm going to let you go that way. It's not that God did it to Jonah. Jonah did it to himself. Got to the lowest of lows. The fish vomits him out and he goes, okay, I'm going to do this again with you. Are you going to listen to me now again? Right? Second time. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you, Jonah. So Jonah arose and went according to the word of the Lord. This is a second step in repentance. It doesn't only, it starts in your mind. You realize what you did wrong. You're praying, okay, Lord, I am so sorry. But then there's a second move. 
You turn and do what God's telling you to do. There's a story in the New Testament in the Gospels that talks about this man who was demon-possessed. And he got clean, set free, the demon left. And yeah, it was all clean inside his heart, but he never filled his heart with Jesus. He never filled his heart with the things of the Lord or the Holy Spirit. So that demon went and got seven more who were more evil than himself and went and inhabited that man. And I think about that. We can repent. We could say, I'm sorry. But when you don't do a 180 degree turn and now not only stop what you're doing, but start doing what God is calling you to do. And that's what Jonah did. Okay, I repented of this and now I'm going to go do it. When Jared and I were newly married, we were having a hard time and we had to talk to uh, um, Bella, if you know Austin and Bella. Bella's mom and dad did our premarital counseling. We were having a really hard time in our marriage. The first couple times we went, I remember, you know, drama vomiting. Jared drama vomited on him. They were talking to us through it. The third meeting, we go in there, and I'm ready. I'm ready to drama vomit. I'm like, I got all this stuff. My heart's anxious. I need to lay it down, and I need to get it out. Jared, the same way. We're mad at each other on the way to this meeting. We sit down on the couch, and I will never forget Bella's dad. He, 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 I don't. I don't, hear, I don't even think he prayed with this. He looked right at me first and he said, Megan, I know you. He said, you've grown up in the church. You've grown up as a pastor's kid. You went to Bible college. You know your Bible. You've read it from beginning to end. You know exactly what God is calling you to do as a wife. So buck up, go home and do it. And I was like, I don't even know what to say. And then he looked at Jared and he said, I, mean, I couldn't even breathe. I was like, do I cry? Do I not cry? And then he looked at Jared and he said, now listen, you weren't raised like her. He said, I get it. He goes, but you are saved. You've given your life to the Lord. You've gone through Bible college. You've gone through school and ministry. You know exactly what the Bible's calling you to do as a husband. So buck up, go home and do it. And he grabbed his wife's hand and he said, we're done. And they left. And I remember sitting there going, oh, what do I do? And I looked at Jared and both of us are just like deer in headlights. Like we did not expect that. But we left and I remember getting in our car and I remember thinking, what do we do now? 14 years later, we're here where we're at today by the grace and mercy of God because we decided we need to do what God's calling us to do. What am I calling to do? Not just repent and be sorry for everything I've done to Jared, but I need to do what God's calling me to do as a wife. And that is very clear in here, in your word, what God's calling you to do as a wife. And husbands, it's very clear of what you're called to do as a husband and leading your wife and your family well. So Jonah rose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to cry, Jonah began, sorry, to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, nor herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. So he's like, everybody repent and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, 
God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the God of the Old Testament. This is the God of the New Testament, the God we serve, that he desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, no matter what you've done. We, we, as, we as humans, sure, people have this scale, right? Oh, your sin's like this. Your sin's this level. That guy sins that level. This girl, I don't know why my hand's this way. This girl's sin is this level, right? But we don't realize that sin is sin. And all of us fall short of the glory of God. At our um, mom's study this Thursday, we were talking about words. And one of my friends was saying, oh, I just, I don't like when people say they're bad or people are bad. And I'm like, I actually think the opposite. I hate when people talk about how good they are. And she was like, oh. And I was like, what? The Bible says you're not good. It, it, Romans. It says not one of us is good. So stop telling me you have a good heart right? None of us are. None of us are. We all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Um, Jeremiah 18, 7 through 8 says, the instant I speak, this is God, the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy, if that nation to whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. God's heart is for you and for me and for all of creation to repent. Repent and turn, not just repent, but turn now. Okay, God, I'm for you. I'm going to walk your ways. That's his heart for people. That's his heart for us. Now here's dumb Jonah again. Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And that word exceedingly in the Hebrew means intense. Jonah was like, this is what he said. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry are you kidding me, Jonah? You just got forgiven getting out of the belly of a fish and vomited on dry ground. You're gross. And now you saw God's mercy to you in that belly of the fish. You saw God save your life out of the depths of the ocean. And you're angry that this group of people have given their lives to him. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, this is Jonah, such a two-year-old. Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God. What? Jonah. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. What? It cracks me up. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord says this, Jonah, what? He says, do you do well to be angry? One thing we need to point out, yes, Jonah did repent of his disobedience going away from the Lord. But now he needs to repent of his lack of mercy for other people. And he doesn't do it. David Gusick said in his commentary, we need to change our vocabulary as Christians from saying, I've repented. Mm-mm. I'm repenting. We are still repenting people. We should still be repenting of the things that God brings into our life. So here's another issue that God is trying to get out of Jonah. God is trying to work in Jonah to surrender to him. And he says, do you be well to be angry? 
Don't you love that God didn't just smite him on the spot and send a lightning bolt and say, forget it. You are the worst, right? Oh my word. Okay, sorry. Real rabbit trail. Jordan loves the movie Encanto. I don't know if you've seen it. And her favorite line in the movie is, Bruno, your room is the worst. She says it all the time. Jonah's the worst. But I lost my train of thought. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, anyway. Oh, man. I totally lost my train of thought. Okay. Oh, God asked a question. Do you do well to be angry? He didn't smite him. He asks him such a gracious question. It's just like in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned, right? And they hide. They cover themselves because here comes God walking in the midst of the garden. And they had never known they were naked before then because now they had sinned. Now their eyes were open to the evil. Now their eyes were open to the spiritual realm. Now their eyes were open to seeing that what they had done was wrong. And so they cover themselves and they hide. And here comes God. And God walks in the cool of the garden and he says, where are you? Was God dumb? No. God knew exactly what bush they were behind. But he said, where are you? Meaning, I want you to answer me. I want your heart to change. I want your heart to realize what you've done wrong. And so he asks Jonah, Jonah, do you have the right to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city. I I see, guys. I got two minutes. Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Gosh, look at the mercy of God again. Jonah, you're being so stubborn, but I'm going to give you shade. So God's heart for us. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. Here's that exceedingly again. So he was intensely angry and now he's intensely glad. Have you ever had emotions like that? So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die again and said, excuse me, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for this plant? And he said, yes, I do. I do do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, oh my goodness, Jonah, He said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I, this is the last verse of this book, and it ends with God's word, which I think is very important. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. So here's Jonah. He goes and sits at the east of the city to sit and pout and watch and say, oh, I hope he still destroys this people. I hope he does it. God sends him a plant because it gets super hot and he's super thankful for the plant. And then God takes away the plant and Jonah pities the plant. He's super sad over the plant that he had nothing to do with in the first place. So God gives him a picture. Jonah, you did not grow this plant. You did not make this plant, and yet you feel sorry that it's gone. He said, I, I know Nineveh. I not, it's not even about the city, Jonah. It's about the people. I made them, Jonah. 
I created these people. I created them to be in heaven with me one day to see their souls saved from destruction, from hell. Hell was not created for you if you did not know that. Nobody is sent to hell. You choose to go to hell yourself. That is biblical. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. Heaven was created for you and I, an eternal life to be with Jesus Christ, our Lord, when we acknowledge it. He says, Jonah, you pity this plant that you had nothing to do with, but I had everything to do with this people in Nineveh. And should I not pity them? Should I not want to see them saved? The New Living Translation says it so perfect in my mind. He says, I have more than 120,000 souls living in spiritual darkness in that city, Jonah. Why would I not care about a hundred, over 120,000 souls that are living in spiritual darkness? Jonah, where is your heart? What is going on inside of your heart? Um, I know this pastor and his wife who went through a crazy, they have a crazy testimony. One of their daughters rebelled, went off the wall for a while, and she started coming back to the Lord. But when she started coming back to the Lord, she had a little baby, and she was involved in a very, very horrible, abusive relationship. But she, she started coming back around, but the, the daddy didn't like it. And the daddy actually took her for a car ride, shoved her out the car while it was going, and murdered her. And I'll never forget that this pastor said to me, he's a friend of my dad. He said, the cops came to the house. I'm going to cry. But he said, the cops came to the house and said, Ashley's been murdered. This is what happened. And Justin is the dad. And he said, that's it. And he went and got his gun. And he said, I'm, and his wife was begging him, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. And he said, how can you tell me not to do it? I'm going to kill him. I'm going right now, and I'm going to kill him, and I'm going to find him, and I'm going to kill him, and you come visit me in prison. And she's begging him, don't, and she's crying, and he leaves, closes the door, and all she could do is get on her knees and beg, beg God, stop him. You have to stop him. Just stop him from doing this. He came home the next day, never found him, and he came home and said, I know I can't do this, but this is the hardest thing I've ever done, to forgive and he had to get on his knees, and he had to pray, and they found him, and court was in like a month or something. I don't remember the time, and he said they walked into court, him and his wife, to testify against this guy, and he had, while he was in prison for those few days, had tattooed their daughter's name just huge over his neck, just right here, and he said he walked into the courtroom, and he looked at the mom and dad and just smirked at them, showing them his neck, and he said he had to, the dad had to get up and testify, and he gets and sits on the stand, and they asked him a question, and he said, the only thing I could mutter out of my mouth was, I forgive you, man. He said, you took my baby's life, but I know she's in heaven, and, and that's what God wants for you. And so he said, who am I to not, who am I to not forgive you? He said, I forgive you. And he said he was just set free at that moment. He knew God was in control. God is just. God would have his way. God would have his purpose. And he needed to trust in God for that. And he is free today, walking with the Lord, knowing one day he will see his girl. He will see. And they get to see their little, he's the grandbaby. They get to raise him with some different parents. They're blessed. But the testimony is crazy to me. And how you can, for even that man God wants to see in heaven. 
Even everyone who's ever wronged you or hurt you in the worst way possible, God wants to see that person in heaven because hell was never created for them. God doesn't want to see anyone destroyed, anyone. So in conclusion, it's an open-ended book. And I think it's that way on purpose for us to be self-reflective. There is no Jonah chapter five. I think in Jonah chapter five, he'd be like, okay, I'm sorry again. That's us too, right? I'm sorry again. We need to not be repented Christians. We need to be repenting Christians over and over again. But what can we learn from the story of Jonah? I believe there's questions we can ask ourselves. What condition is my own heart in today? Right? Where am I at? Am I fleeing from the presence of the Lord? Is there any wicked way in me? Is there any rebellion in me? Am I so self-focused like Jonah was, not caring for the person next to me? God, will you help me to deeply understand the weight of my own sin and draw me to repentance? Will you give me spiritual eyes to not only see the lost, but to yearn for their salvation? God, will you help me to see how merciful you are in my own life and then give me the strength and desire to be merciful to others? And then what can we learn about God from this book of Jonah? God is always focused on the condition of our own hearts your own soul. He says, before you remove the plank, or before you, yeah, remove the plank. Why? What does he say? Speck. Before you remove the speck from your brother's eye, remove that big fat plank from your own eye first. Revival begins with personal gospel renewal in your own soul first. And God was after personal gospel renewal in Jonah's heart. God is always pursuing you out of a deep love and longing for reconciliation, reconciliation and relationship. And he desires that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So going back to my conversation with my friends and others that I've had for misunderstanding the heart and character of God throughout the Bible, God is the hero throughout the entire Bible. And particularly in the book of Jonah, he is our great savior. I hope you saw that today. God is our savior who is in constant pursuit of you and I and our hearts and where they're at. And I also love that this book of Jonah ends with God's word and not Jonah's. May we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and say your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts than my thoughts. May I trust in you and lean not on my own understanding, right? And not my will be done, Lord, but yours be done. And I know his will is that all would come to repentance and none would perish. Let's pray.